0: 47 welcome back to the windows and mirrors podcast Uh, my name is Keith and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror we come to it to see through it and to see God not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves All right, so man Matthew 21 and Matthew 21 uh, remember uh, we left off Matthew 20 now Jesus in Matthew 21 has entered Jerusalem right this is uh, the last week of his life and, you know, all of the gospel writers are going to tell this last week of Jesus life. They're going to tell it in a different way. And so Matthew here is going to say, yo, he comes into Jerusalem, which, which is known as the triumphal entry. Right. So he comes in riding on a donkey. Right. He is preparing to die and rise from the grave for the sins of you and I. And this is central to God's plan. In redemptive history right so he comes into jerusalem and remember jerusalem is where the temple is it is the center of the religious life and where the messiah was supposed to enter and reign and rule on earth and so here we see the promises of god unfolding before our eyes right and so at the beginning of this text we're gonna they're gonna see uh, a quote of Zechariah 9 9 if you remember you know the zachariah episode i talked about this and um yeah he comes into jerusalem on a donkey Right. A cult, not with horses and chariots and with this entourage, but he comes humbly. Right. And he is this humble king is who's going to um, suffer the humiliation needed to atone for our sins. And yet he's being praised. Right. We see he comes in. He's being praised as this Messiah from David's line. Now, regardless of all of that, you know, many, not all, but many of the Jews at this time would expect the messiah to come into Jerusalem and bring a type of nationalist militaristic attack on Rome as he enters the city. Now, however, what happens here is he brings these acts of judgment, right, against Israel, right? Just the, the 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 most ironic plot twist if we've been reading the gospel, we know, but for the people at the time, I could imagine how much of a plot twist this was to them because the first thing he does in this text is he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple, right? He's showing that, yo, Israel's religion is corrupt. So he goes into the temple, cleanses the temple, and says, yo, everything here is corrupt. And for example, just to show you the corruption, they were uh, charging these extortionary prices to the poor for doves to make sacrifices, right? So if you read the Old Testament, you know that if you were poor and you had to make a sacrifice, um, you would use a turtle dove because you couldn't afford a lamb. And here the people of God, quote unquote, are charging these extremely high prices to the poor in Israel. And so shortly after this, what does Jesus do? He curses a fig tree. Now, why does he curse a fig tree? Well, this miracle is going to symbolize the moral barrenness and fruitlessness of Israel. Right. And remember in Matthew 7, he's like, yo, a people are known by their fruit, right? The fig tree in the same way that the fig tree hadn't fulfilled its literal purpose in providing fruit at the proper time. Here, Jesus is saying, Israel, in a nutshell, you're under judgment because your king has come looking for fruit and you have none. Right. And as a result, Israel, as a result, you're going to experience the judgment of God. Right. You think about John the Baptist in Matthew three. He says, yo, bear fruit, consistent with repentance. The people of God in this time had not repented. Right. And their king has come. The time is its time and cats ain't repented. Right. And so you just want to see this build up and this build up and this build up of, of Christ talking to specifically not just all of Israel, but the religious leaders in Israel. So finally, in twenty one. You know, he's going to have the parable of the vineyard owner, uh, the vineyard owner who finishes the chapter and where he parabolically teaches about the rejection of God's servants, the prophets, and ultimately the rejection of God's very own son. And what Jesus is doing, listen, what Jesus is doing is foretelling of his own death, but he's also pointing back, pointing out the evidence of the symptoms of a much larger spiritual Disease in the Old Testament, God sent prophets repeatedly and graciously, and they by and large were never accepted. And one of the things I think this text is trying to tell us today, as we're listening to this podcast, is that you know, you can tell those who are on the side of the kingdom today or on the wrong side of the kingdom today by seeing those who claim to be God's people who also at the same time persecute god's prophets and leaders especially listen especially when those leaders are critiquing the waywardness and sinfulness of the church the people who persecute let me say it again the people who persecute god's leaders especially when they're speaking of the waywardness and sinfulness of the church are not really in the kingdom Right, it's the same thing today. Matthew twenty-two. He's going to speak of this parable of the wedding banquet, and so Jesus will say, "Yo, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son." Right, and the wedding banquet image, the wedding banquet imagery, uh, is another uh, you know expectation that Israel had of what the kingdom would be like. So Jesus is going to say, "Yo, ultimately, I'm the bride, um, or I'm the groom, and you're the bride." Right and you know heaven the kingdom will really be like this wedding feast and what christ is saying here is that yo like many people who think they invited ain't really invited why because you know a lot of them turn down their invitation right but a lot of them as well are actually false uh invites right so he's going to talk about you know someone who is there who's who doesn't have the proper garments or clothing um needed to be at the banquet and they're going to be cast out right and so the last week of jesus life and he's throwing so many hints and remember if we look at the text closely he's talking to the pharisees and the leaders and the religious leaders in israel right and in other words what we're going to see here is that like yo like man the kingdom is going to be in a sense turned uh torn from israel that's why in this parable he says yo um the gospel and kingdom call will be extended to all all who desire to come right and at the end of the day jesus is just like yo man like many are invited but few are chosen right and at the end of the day like god is just saying like man the gospel call is going to go out to israel they reject it so the gospel call goes out to the gentiles the entire world and whoever comes to the king humbly with repentance and faith those are the ones who will be in again many today who seem to be in, Jesus is saying, are actually out, right? And many who are seemingly out are actually in. This is this reversal we've been seeing of the kingdom, and Jesus just keeps going and going and saying the same thing over and over to draw out a point, right? And remember, we must remember that parables were, again, spoken in the context of judgment. So if he if Christ speaks a parable in your midst and you are unable to understand it, it is probably an indication that judgment is upon you. That is the same thing that is happening here with the religious leaders in Israel. And I imagine the same thing that is happening today. Twenty three is the climax of this section. And basically, remember, uh, Matthew is built around these five uh Long discourses that parallel the Torah or the first five books of the Bible, the law, right? And so this is the fifth and final discourse that is going to extend from chapter 23 to 25. And here he's going to. Yeah, like basically climax and just turn up on the Pharisees. Right. And, you know, he's going to give these seven woe oracles. I don't have time to go through all of them. Um, But this word, this woe is used again in the prophets to speak of uh, condemnation. And so Christ is, again, taking on this prophetic role here. And the main thing he's going to get at is, you all like, man, you guys have a different like y'all are different when it comes to unbelief and hypocrisy. Right. And one of the things I think we should remember is that all throughout the Gospels, listen, Jesus is extremely patient with sinners, but he is often really hard on hypocrites. Right. Christ is really, really patient with sinners, but he's often really, really hard on hypocrites. And what I mean by hypocrites is is these people who work hard to appear and seem pious and religious and strict with the law but at the same time don't really do the very things they require of others right all the while having a heart posture that is cold and hard you know toward others and really towards god and inwardly decaying right and these pharisees you know had misinterpreted the scriptures right and that's that's one of the reasons why we do this pod- we we do this podcast because we want you to rightly interpret the bible right because it's dangerous right the, the bible is dangerous in the hands of a fool right and so you know they misunderstood the, the relationship between the law and the tradition but they played the part quote unquote and that's what hypocrite literally means they literally played the part of accurately representing what god required for his people And so Jesus ministry, man, in many ways shows that false religion is not what gets people into the kingdom of heaven. It's a lowly and humble faith before the king. Finally, Matthew 24. Uh, Matthew 24 is a tricky chapter, and he's going to go into a lot of uh, end times talk and, you know, uh, he starts off talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, talking about the destruction of the temple where I remember Jerusalem was destroyed in, um, 586 BC, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. And now here in 70 AD, uh, or in 70 AD, this is not when this gospel was written, but in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed again. And, you know, Jesus talks about that. And that is a sign of God's judgment. But as well, he says, yo, like, man, the disciples ask him, what are the signs of the end of the age? And christ goes in to say yo like false messiahs there's going to be people who come up and say they are actually the messiah right and with an intent to deceive he says persecution many believers will be uh, extremely persecuted then he says the deception many of who seem to be god's people will be deceived into other beliefs and will fall away right and then he says there'll be an increase in lawlessness and there will be lovelessness right and you know <clears throat> uh just all these things and one of the things that christ uh or one of the things that people have said throughout history is that you know this um passage has been taken in a multitude of ways and you know many would say all these things began to unfold at the time of jesus death some would say it began to unfold at the time of the destruction of the temple some would say it's still to come in the future and time doesn't even permit to to give a to give or defend an accurate view or my personal view um but based on the text, man, I think we can learn a few things. Number one, Jesus is coming back, right? Verse verses 29 through 31. Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things right. Number two, he will gather his elect, right? All of those that are his don't have to worry about the great tribulation and the great distress because he is coming to gather them. Number three, nobody, listen, nobody ultimately knows the precise timing of all of these events, especially when Christ will come back. That is good news why because it helps us to live with a sense of urgency now right number four the wicked and the hypocrites will be judged finally and forever i love what christ says in verse 13 he says but the one who endures to the end will be saved this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come brothers and sisters that is super super comforting words from our savior king jesus the messiah if you are on the side of the king you have nothing to worry about ever at all let's pray father we pray that we would be on the side of the king and the kingdom, God, that we wouldn't be hypocrites, that we wouldn't be uh, prideful, that we wouldn't be Pharisees, God, but we would be um, those who humbly submit to you and your plan of redemption. Uh, Give us the grace today to see the things you see and to do the things you call us to do.